The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. Go to athletics.com slash A's Cast to download the app. Restrictions apply. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Watch the left field deep. Bam going back, looking up. He will watch it fly. And 29 other MLB clubs. 2-2 pitch on Trout, and he blasts one. Way back. It's one out. He's your home run derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From spin rate to juiced balls to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. That's right. It is A's Cast Live here on A's Cast. And we have a terrific show for you coming up from the Chicken Pie Shop in Walnut Creek. What are you doing today? Well, what you should be doing is you should be coming here and joining us because it is a huge series coming up for the athletics. It's the A's up against the New York Yankees. We're going after it again. Cannot wait. We are going to be here all day long watching A's baseball. Come enjoying the food. Enjoy the food. Enjoy the drinks. Come see us at the Chicken Pie Shop in Walnut Creek. And, boy, do we have a fantastic guest lineup for you. Martin Gallegos from MLB.com is going to be here at 115. Jason Giambi will be here at 1.30. And I have to ask you, Cody, how did you get Jason Giambi? Uh, that, was, uh, that was something that we worked out in the office with uh, Dietra Page and others. So Dietra helped me with that one. She's also the one helping me with McGuire, so hopefully we can nail that one down. But Giambi, 130, promoting that heavily yesterday with the on the Alex Jensen experience uh, on Ace Cast yesterday. Well, we will not be talking today about Jason Giambi going yard off of me in college. Uh, I faced him on a Saturday, struck him out. The next day he hit a home run that was literally 500 feet or more against me back in the days when he was at Long Beach State. Uh, we will not be talking about that, but we, you know, last time we talked to Jason – you know, he's an interesting guy because, you know, after the whole thing that happened in New York with him, and, of course, Ace fans are always going to love Jason Giambi, but then he started floating around, and he really became this veteran guy who not only was he a great clubhouse guy when he was a star player, but he became that kind of, let's just say, glue old, the glue guy, the older guy, and... There's been talk that Jason Giambi would be an excellent manager. The way he has the ability to handle people, his understanding of the game. But the thing, like the last time we talked to him, and I want to say it was last year when I had when I interviewed him and he was on the field. Jason Giambi has young kids now, as he started as a father late in life, and later in his life, I should say, he's not that old. But God, I want to say, was he 48? If I'm 47, he's like 48, 49. So he's got young kids, but, you know, there's a belief that Jason Giambi would be a terrific manager. And I got to tell you, as a media guy and knowing Jason a little bit, he'd be fascinating to cover on an everyday basis because, you know, remember when you're a manager, you're talking multiple times a day. You know, Bob Melvin talks before the game. He talks after the game. You know, a lot of us are going up to him during batting practice and talking to him. And just that charismatic Jason Giambi would just, you know, I mean, at one point, man, he was a rock star 
type of guy. So can't wait to talk to Jason Giambi coming up here at 1.30. We'll also talk with David Force. That will be at 2.30, the general manager show. A lot to get into as the A's. Right now, if it ended today, if it ended today, the A's are in the postseason. They're a game and a half back of the Tribe for the first wild card. And so interesting don't we have the Indians in Tampa playing this weekend? They got a three-game set playing this weekend, so we're, we'll see how that works out. I mean, the A's got to take care of their business, obviously, against the New York Yankees after they swept the Yankees at home. But you've got the Indians up against Tampa Bay. And Tampa Bay with a, I got to say, yesterday was very impressive watching that game on the MLB Network because A's game ended – I was in the Pacific Northwest, so they, they weren't airing the A's game. They were airing the game between Tampa and Houston. And to see all those different pitchers pitch for Tampa and for them to get the victory, man, the whole time I was just sit, sitting in my uh, hotel room watching it, just thinking about the absolute dogfight that this thing is going to be down to the very end. I was having a conversation yesterday up in Seattle what it's going to be like. So – that last weekend, I'm going to have to pack a bag, and the bag is going to be packed for a full-on London trip, which may not be a full-on London trip with, with the Raiders. It may be heading back to Oakland for the wild-card game. Could be heading to Cleveland for the wild-card game. Could be heading to Tampa for the wild-card game. But the A's are dead in it right now as they hold the second wild-card spot, and they're a game and a half behind the Tribe. Now, MLB.com came out with the toughest schedules remaining in baseball. And it's weird how things have really changed for the athletics. Because at, at one point, the A's had the fourth toughest remaining schedule of all the teams. And that has dramatically changed. Because from here on out, they only have two series left where they're going to take on teams that have a 500 or better record. And that's this weekend. And then in September, they're going to be taking on the Astros. But here's how it works out. The toughest schedule remaining got the Phillies. Number two is the Cardinals. Number three is the D-backs. What's good to see here is the Rays are now fourth. And their postseason odds have dropped dramatically. Because they were a dark. If you remember back when we were going over this whole schedule thing, the Rays were an absolute darling. Everybody was loving the Rays. But their postseason odds, have they've dropped to 49.2 as they are a game back of the Athletics in the wild card spot. So they've got a three-game set against Cleveland. They got that this weekend. And, of course, they got some tough series coming up. Also tied for the fourth toughest is the Nationals, the Braves, then it drops to a tie for eight toughest, Cubs, Red Sox. Tenth is the Mets, as your Mets, Cody, are starting to struggle down the down – the, I'm off the Mets bandwagon. If you want to remain on that, you can stay on that. Oh. Meet the Mets. Meet the Mets. Step right up and greet the Mets. My buddy Rob in New York, he texted me. He said uh, – he goes – your Mets have fallen back to earth. There is always next year. And I responded to him. 
I thought a rematch of the 1973 World Series. <laughs> and he goes, I don't think that's going to happen. The outlier, DeGrom, did not pitch well last night either for the, uh, as the Mets has got swept by the Cubs. The first true road series for the Cubs win since, like, May. Yeah, that, you know, that is really shocking how bad they have been for a long time on the road. The their, Chicago Cubs. Their last road series win, if you don't count. If in you, May? In, I believe it was May. If you, unless you count the win they had over the Pirates at Williamsport, which was a road game. So that, that series. But that was only one ago. game. Well, they talk, well, they played the Pirates on the road that, that weekend. So they won that series. But a, a true road series where they played in someone's home ballpark three days, the first one was the one against the Mets. It's the first one they won since, like, May. That's crazy. June, July, August, and you haven't won one road playoff series? That is crazy. So the Mets are now 10th. They have the 10th of a schedule. Indians are 11th. And here, the Oakland Athletics are 12th. And their postseason odds, according to MLB.com, 59%. Says the Astros have essentially locked up the AOS. So the A's focus turns to getting back into a winner-take-all wildcard game for the second straight October. But Oakland doesn't have any remaining matchups with a likely wildcard contender. So we'll circle this weekend's set at Yankee Stadium as an opportunity to build more momentum and confidence. The A's swept the mighty Yankees last week in Oakland. And then, of course, the Yankees, they're 13th, and then the Astros 14th when you talk about toughest schedules. But you look at the A's at 59%. Dramatically different. The odds have changed from where the Rays were not too long ago, as basically all these projections had the Rays in the playoffs. Not so much anymore at 49.2%, and the tide for the fourth toughest schedule going forward. But this is the sprint. This is the beauty of it. Where the A's are right now, and a weekend like this, the momentum this could build for the A's going forward, taking on the Yankees at Yankee Stadium. And if they can take the Yankees down, this would absolutely be huge. And you got to give the Yankees a lot of credit, right? I mean, they, they, they have had one of these years where normally when you have a year like this, when you have this many guys out that – you're not gonna you're not gonna be in playoff contention. I mean, they basically had to replace their starting nine this year. I mean, there was a point to where I mean, basically their payroll that was on the IL <laughs> was just incredible, but they survived it. And this is why this year, if you say Aaron Boone should be the manager of the year, I'm 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 I I would vote for him, wouldn't you, Cody? Well, from everything he's done, from all the injuries, the pitching staff being a disaster. My guys are blanking savages in the box. But, yeah, I mean, all the guys that they've had hurt, normally I don't care what your payroll is. I mean, it really shows. And, really, I would throw on there, too, Brian Cashman being executive of the year because if anybody has shown the strength of a 40-man roster, that strength has no doubt been the New York Yankees. Get out, Aaron! Uh, 
Oh, I love it. The best part is when he says the umpire. Now, I feel bad for you. <laughs> we got CC Sabathia on the mound up against Brett Anderson. Are you kidding me? The end of the year in Yankee Stadium. How good is this going to be today? I can't tell you how fired up. I don't care if I haven't had any sleep today. Far, uh, friend of the program, CC Sabathia. That's right. Was that with the? Uh, that was with the great Roxy Bernstein. That was with the great Roxy Bernstein. So Martin Gallegos is going to join us in moments as we're getting you ready for the A's and the Yankees. And then at 1.30, we're going to have Jason Giammi, former AL MVP, five-time All-Star, and was a terrific A, 198 career home runs he had with the Athletics. It's going to be a fun day. Make sure you come out and see us. We're at the Chicken Pie Shop of Walnut Creek. We're going to be here all day long. We're going to be doing A's Cast Live. That's going to lead into A's Total Access, which is our pregame show, which will lead into the game with Ken and Vince from Yankee Stadium. And one of my best friends was just at Yankee Stadium. And so I know that there are some Yankee fans, they don't like New Yankee Stadium because New Yankee Stadium is so perfect and they, they, it doesn't have the vibe of old Yankee Stadium. Well, one of my best friends was just there as, as uh, his son's Little League was playing out at Cooperstown. They went, he says it's the best ballpark he's ever been to. Hands down. There's nothing close to it. It's like perfect. Bob Melvin told us earlier this week how great Yankee, the new Yankee Stadium is. I've been to the old Yankee Stadium. The old Yankee Stadium was a dump, but what was cool about it was like the vibe. There was such an incredible vibe around old Yankee Stadium because you knew of all the history that – you know, you think of all the great football games that were played there, one of the greatest games of all time, the Giants against the Colts. Uh, made some heavyweight matchups. They had boxing there. They had great football there. When you not only think about the New York Giants, but you think about college football. So there was something about that stadium. Like, you, you knew the hit, like, you know, Ruth and Gehrig and DiMaggio and that whole thing. But this new one I hear is absolutely incredible. We're getting you ready for the A's and the Yankees from the Chicken Pie Shop in Walnut Creek. Martin Gallegos from MLB.com will join us next right here on A's Cast Live. Now back to A's Cast Live. Broadcasting from the town, here's Chris Townsend. So before we get to Martin Gallegos, Cody, the autopsy is out. We thought it was going to be after the season. Tyler Skaggs, who passed away, from the Angels in Texas. Really sad news. What, what have we learned? So according to Mike DiGiovanna from the uh, LA Times, Tyler Skaggs passed away from opioids, fentanyl, oxycodone, along with alcohol, is what was found in his system from the toxicology report, which means he aspirated, meaning he choked on his own vomit. Oh, God. Is what we've, ter- we've heard from, our, from the Ace Cats Live medical staff. Uh, that would be your girlfriend who is here with us today and uh, who, who works in a hospital, and she, under, she knows the terminology here, but very, very sad, as this is happening way too much in our country right now. And you, you pretty much knew that someone who's 27 years old, you know, passing away in his sleep, as they said, you know, you think about his young wife and, man, they've been – the Angels have really had some awful things happen inside their organization. Uh, was it Aiden Hart was the guy's name who uh, passed away in the car accident? Just, just, just really, really sad. 
Martin Gallegos covers the athletics as well as anybody for MLB.com, and he joins us here on A's Cast Live. How have you been? What's up, Tony? I've been good. Um, spent the last few days in uh, Kansas City, ate some good barbecue, did some cool stuff over there, so been good. Yeah, they, you know what? You, you can't oversell it. Kansas City, I mean, this is what they do. They do barbecue, and everywhere you go, every place you go is absolutely amazing. I, so I always recommend, like, when people go, you love barbecue, then you got to go to Kansas City. Yeah. Um, of course, when uh, every time I go there, I always get people blowing up my Twitter with, uh, with recommendations. So, I mean, there's no shortage out there. That's the thing to do out there, and, and I can't complain. I love it. All right, so this is, a, this is a big series, and it's a big weekend for the athletics because we're coming down the stretch here. And you've got Cleveland and Tampa hooking up. And then, of course, the A's, they're not going to play Cleveland or Tampa at all. But this is a series right here with the Yankees. You've got two series left where you're playing teams that are over 500. It's just the Yankees and the Astros. How much fun is this, this going to be, this three-game set in the Bronx for the green and gold? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot, lot going into it. You know, like you said, only one of the few, few over 500 teams left that they got to play in. You know, it's the first time going back since the wild card game. So you got that little built-in storyline there. I know the A's swept the Yankees in Oakland um, last week. But I think there's going to be a little bit of a different feeling in this one. Um, just walking into that stadium for the first time, I'm sure some guys are going to be at least, you know, thinking about that night and, you know, how everything kind of kind of went wrong in a, in a hurry for them there. So, um, you know, a chance to kind of exercise those demons a little bit, you know. Um, there's, there's, I think, a feeling of unfinished business going into that series. But you know what? They didn't let it affect them in Kansas City. They took three out of four, which was big. I mean, they got to take care of business against those kind of teams. Yeah, and, and I like how you said unfinished business. And sometimes teams need to learn. You need to learn how to play on the big stage. You need to learn how to, to win in the postseason. And sometimes, and you can speak to this, sometimes your failure can help you learn to have your success. Yeah, for sure. I think with any with any sport, I think um, you know there's a the saying that you know you got to you got to learn how to how to you know take a loss first and and learn from that, and then you can you can enjoy the winning a little bit more. And you know the guys felt that you know in that wild card game, it hurt them a lot. Um, but at the same time, you know they they kind of all, I think there was a feeling that you know maybe you know they this was a good thing to go through in the long run because they're going to be uh, you know ready to go come next year if they make the playoffs again and you know right now they're they're on pace to make it again it looks like they they could get that wild card spot and i think wherever that game is played um having gone through that experience it's only going to make them better this time around and i think about the yankees you know the reality is their pitching isn't very good so when you look at the yankees i don't care if you're talking about a seven game series you fear their bats but do you fear their arms at all I mean, the pitching definitely is a weakness. I mean, on paper, it looked like they were going to have a, a, a pretty good rotation going into the season, but, you know, guys haven't really performed to the way they ha they were supposed to, and um, other guys have been injured. So, you know, it's definitely their offense is their strength, um, for sure, and they've got a pretty good bullpen, but I think they're a little bit vulnerable with starters, and, you know, you can get to them early, I think, and that's, what, that's probably going to be the A's plan of attack here in this series is try to get to them early and uh, score some runs in the in the. Uh, in the early goings. But, yeah, I mean, going into the playoffs for them, um, you know, if they go up against the Astros in a series, I don't know if they're feeling too good about their chances with that rotation, um, going up against their rotation. It's just, I mean, it's two different levels right there, I think, with all due respect to the Yankees' rotation. You think about Liam Hendricks and his ride, as right now I'm on the Athletics website. 
I didn't see it this morning, but Liam Hendricks was in the studios at the MLB Network there in New Jersey on their morning show, MLB Central. June 25th of last year, he's DFA'd. Goes down to AAA and says, you know what, I'm going to just start doing everything my way and starts playing a lot of long toss, gets his velocity up. Next thing you know, he's starting the wild card game, which, as you mentioned, went sideways early, but now has become the A's closer. It's like he's becoming this mini star because of what a great person he is off the field, how he's trying to help people, help animals. He was in the all-star game. Talk about the rise of Liam Hendricks. This is really like something we've never seen before. It really is. I mean, you can make a movie out of this thing. You know, he, I mean, to going back last year at this point in the season, or maybe, or June, I, I should say, when he got DFA'd, I mean, to have thought he was even going to come back and, and be a, a factor for the team. I don't, I don't even know if he was going to be an A after he got DFA'd. I thought maybe someone would pick him up. He goes to AAA. Like you said, he, he does some long toss. I think he, he changed up his diet a little bit too to shed some pounds and, and gain a little bit more uh, m- more muscle. And I think that's contributed to the uh, increase in velocity as well. But, um, I mean, he's when you're talking about who's been the most valuable guy on this team, I mean, you look at guys like Chapman and, and Simeon, they're at the, at the top of that list. But, I mean, they wouldn't be here without Liam Hendricks. I mean, he's been the one guy who's kind of settled everything down there in the ninth inning where – you know, after Blake Trinan got off to a really bad start, you didn't know, you know, what the future held for that bullpen. Um, you know, everyone was struggling, but I mean, he's been lights out for the most part in that role since he took over his closer. He leads the majors and saves. Um, and you know what? He's a, he's a writer's dream as well because he's a great quote. You know, he loves talking. He loves doing media. Um, so he automatically, uh, you know, that I think, you know, tends to get him more opportunities to be in the spotlight a little more. You know, like, like you mentioned, the MLB Network uh, trip and. Uh, you know, as long as he, you know he keeps pitching well, he's gonna he's gonna be a little bit more in that spotlight and come playoff time. You know, he's gonna be a, a fun guy to fun guy to talk to. Even last year for the when he was announced as the opener, he was he was like the star of the press conference there at Yankee Stadium. So he's he's a good dude and he's generally a guy that you're happy to see uh, have success because he's he's a caring guy. Like you mentioned, all the uh, community stuff that he does, the the organizations that he helps support. Um, you know, all around on on the field and off the field, he's a good dude. Yeah, you know we we. He's been on this show more than anybody, and it, it, it's it, it's very unique that you have an athlete who, like, he'll come up to us and say, hey, I need to be on the show today because I want to promote X. Like, recently he came up to us and goes, hey, I want to promote these T-shirts, the cyberbullying. I mean, how often do you have a guy who cares so much about off-the-field stuff that he reaches out to the media and really uses the media – to help, to help all the stuff that he's doing. Like I've never seen. Have you seen anything like this before? Because I've never seen anything like it. No, and I would imagine it's, it's tough to balance that because I mean, uh, I mean, you know how, how baseball players are. They're you're, you know focused, you know, kind of twenty four seven on on baseball. And when they're not, they just try to be with their families. But um, you know, he's able to find a way to balance all that. And I mean, it's, it's cool to see. Um, he's just like a normal guy who's, who's playing baseball. You know, he'll go come up to you and just start a conversation in the clubhouse. Um, you know, he's just low-key guy sitting at his locker you wouldn't think he's you know a fiery guy just looking at him in the clubhouse he's there sitting at his locker reading a book you know most of the time but you know he gets on that mound and he he uh you know gets that adrenaline going pumping and um you know he's a fun guy to watch on on, on the mound as well and um yeah he's one of a kind i mean i haven't i haven't seen someone to this level um that does so much um outreach and is still you know performing at a high level like that if you're bob melvin other than liam hendrix 
who can you trust in the bullpen? You know, it's tough. I mean, there's been times where you think, okay, it looks like Trinan is, is getting out of his, you know, funk a little bit, and then he'll go out and, and struggle a little bit. Same thing with Trevino. Um, one guy that I'd watch is, is A.J. Puck. I mean, if you uh, he didn't he only pitched once in this Royal Series, so I, I'm assuming he's going to get a little bit more time, you know, in this Yankee Series. And I, I think that might have been by design. Maybe um, get him – he pitched two solid innings, scoreless innings in Kansas City to maybe get that confidence up a little bit. Um and he's probably going to come in, in a big situation in this series because the bullpen's taxed. I mean, going into this game, they, they had to eat a lot of innings in that Royal series over four games, especially that last game. They used up all of their plus guys. Liam Hendricks probably is not going to be available tonight. So, um, you know, Puck's going to come, come in, in a big situation at some point. And if he shows that he can handle it, you know, the first two outings went a little rough for him. But, I mean, I think you can kind of give him a mulligan for those. It was a high adrenaline situation. If he comes in in this series in, in New York and – can shut things down and, and keep a lead or keep a tie or keep a game close. Maybe he elevates to that top of the spot because everyone who's been, you know, in that setup role has kind of been hit or miss. They've been good at times and they struggle at times. So no consistency. They need someone to step up. How do you envision Sean Manaya helping this team in September? You know, that, that's going to be interesting to see how they handle that. I mean, Bob mentioned that there's a possibility they could go to a six-man rotation. Um, they got a stretch of 16 in a row without a day off. And, you know, at this point in the season, there's a lot of starters who, you know, maybe could use that extra day of rest. So I think maybe you see him slot in there, uh, you know, in one of those spots at some point during that stretch. He's going to be on the team for sure. But, you know, maybe maybe one of these starters, they try to move to the bullpen to try to try to cover some of those late innings. Who knows? Um or if someone struggles, Sean can slot right in. But I don't know if we see Sean go to the bullpen. I think he'll he'll be part of the rotation at some point, um, and maybe one of those one of those five starters currently uh, moves to the bullpen. Great stuff, buddy. We'll uh, see you back in Oakland. All right, Tony. Anytime, man. Thanks. Martin Gallegos from MLB.com. Coming up next, Jason Giambi, former MVP of your Oakland Athletics. Everybody loved Jason Giambi. You kidding me? You want to talk about a guy who had some swag. That was Jason Giambi. We'll talk to him next right here on A's Cast Live. Hi, this is Eduardo Perez from ESPN. When I'm in the Bay Area, I make sure I listen to A's Cast Live. I love it. A little ESPN baseball. Jason Giambi, the American League MVP in the year 2000. A five-time All-Star. And remember when I said, you know, later in his career, yeah, AL Comeback Player of the Year in 2005. Remember he came back to the A's in 2009 and then played a huge role in Colorado from 2009 to 2012 and then ended up with the Indians in 2013 and 2014. And that was really when people started talking about Jason Giambi potentially being a guy that could be a manager in the big leagues. Right now, I know he's doing a lot with the family and the young kids, but baseball is better with Jason Giambi back in it. Do we have him? Jason, Chris Townsend with the Oakland Athletics. Great to have you on the program. How is life treating you? Good. Just retired, raising young kids. 
You know what? We talked to you last year on this program, and, and I mentioned about how, you know, a lot of people are like, Jason Giambi would be a terrific manager. I know you got the young kids and you're having a great time. When are we going to get you back in baseball? Hopefully soon. You know, hopefully soon. Life's going good, and, um, you know, the kids, I had a great time with the kids. And, you know, I do some stuff here and there, you know, for the last few years. I've, you know, helped some teams out and stuff like that. But someday I'll be back in for sure. What was that like for you at the end of your career when you truly became that that veteran presence? Because we do know, like, when you were in Oakland and, and times in New York, you, you were that rock star guy, but you really morphed into this great veteran leader. What was that like for you in your career? I loved it. You know, I, I always felt uh, in my career guys like Mark McGuire and Terry Steinbach and, and all these guys that were great influences on my career – they really sped up my learning curve. And I always felt that's how you repay the game is you pass on all the knowledge you've learned and pass it on to that younger generation. And that's what I always felt that I, I became that player in the game. Like you're talking about that star in the game because of those guys, because they sped up my learning curve. And I always felt that it was fair that I needed to do that to a young, to a young player as well. Pass it on. Well, yeah, I mean, you coming out of Long Beach State, uh, you know, and then you got to play uh, on Team USA, and then next, you know, mm -hmm. there, there you are w with the athletics. And, you know, talk about what someone like Mark McGuire truly meant to you in your career. Oh, I mean, he, he helped me recognize how to refine my game. I mean, I always had a great eye at the plate and walked and and other things, but he just, you know, helped me refine my game because we would talk about baseball, we'd talk about hitting, we, you know, we would talk about life and – I mean, he was definitely older than I was, and he'd already, he had already was a star in, in the game. You know, I mean, he was already a star, so I learned so much from him uh, just sitting and listening. I, was, I followed him around like a puppy dog all the time just to listen. And, and, and within that group, because he was in that upper echelon of players, I got a chance to stand in when he was having conversations with Kirby Puckett and, and Don Mattingly and Dave Winfield and, the you know, uh, uh, Cal Ripken. I mean, the list goes on and on. And I just would sit there and listen to these guys talk about baseball. So my learning curve was sped up immensely. That's one thing I always loved about you is you're truly a baseball fan. I mean, that, you know, just listen, oh, yeah. listening to you talk, like I can imagine you being a young kid going, my God, this is Dave Winfield, right? It's Don Mattingly. Oh, talk about that. I you're mean, just always a, a baseball fan. Yeah, these. They were, the, they were the guys I grew up idolizing. I mean, I, I, watching. I remember watching them in the 84 Olympics or Will Clark and, and Rafael All these guys that were on this team, I would think, wow, you know, watching these guys play. I was a young kid watching them in L.A. play on the 84 Olympics. And then here I am standing in the middle of all these guys. I mean, I had baseball cards of it. There I am standing in the middle of listening to conversations and actually, like, them knowing my first name and – it was amazing. You know, I, I really grew up being a baseball fan. All I ever wanted to be when I was a kid, when I was old enough to be something, I, you know, it wasn't a policeman or a fireman. It was a baseball player. And I got to live that dream for 20 years. You know, I, I think about the book Moneyball, and I think about that movie. And the one thing that I wish would have been mentioned was you in it because you helped get those players to where they were like Billy Bean gets on board and next, you know, you start changing the franchise. What was your time like in Oakland? Cause I know it was very special for you, especially in that clubhouse. Oh, it was amazing. I mean, I got a chance to play, like I said, those late 80 A's teams, you know, I mean, when you had Eckersley and McGuire and Ricky Henderson and Steinbach and 
all these guys were on the team. And then we made that transition to go young. And so, you know, you got Hudson Mulder, Zito, Chavez, Tejada. I mean, the list goes on and on. And I just remember, you know, I remember Billy sitting me down one day. He goes, all right, it's your team. Now you're, you run it how you want to run it. And, you know, Matt Sturge was there. And, and we just made that, like, fraternity, you know, clubhouse, that frat clubhouse. And we had a ball. And before you know it, we got really good really fast. And it was amazing. I had great times there and made a lot of great friends who I still talk to every now and then. And it was a lot of fun. You're on the cover of Sports Illustrated. I mean, it was amazing. <laughs> yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. It, it was a lot of fun kind of being the, you know, the bad boys of baseball, but, you know, kind of the underdogs as well with, you know, low payroll. And Billy Bean did a great job of signing us all young where we had multi-year deals, which gave us security. But it turned out to be awesome for the A's as well because we all exceeded that 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 money, you know. And later on, I mean, if you take the payroll that every guy earned after they left, it, it's, you know, huge how is it possible because the clubhouse is still that way how is it possible because yeah. most most teams aren't like that why why was your group so loose and so fun i i you know we really bought into the chemistry thing you know obviously we we didn't have the ability to go have a high payroll you know at, at that time i mean after mr hoff died and they sold the team, we, we went young. And so going young, you definitely have a young payroll. I mean, you have to give credit to Grady Fuson and Billy and Paul Podesta and all these guys who signed, you know, Ben Greaves, uh, Hudson Mulder, Zito, all these guys. And, and maybe, I don't, you know, Zito, where they moved him up in the draft and they really developed him and then kind of let it fit into the clubhouse where this team chemistry was unbelievable. And, and it still works to this day. I mean, if you look at the A's clubhouse, they have a lot of fun when they play the game, which, which translates to wins. And, and they've definitely figured that out, no doubt about it. Now, obviously, the, the offer that the Yankees gave you, it's, it's life-changing money. I mean, it, it is what it is. But how tough was it for you to leave the A's? Uh, I, I, I didn't have an offer from the A's. <laughs> that was, I had one offer. Most people don't know that I had one offer, and that was from the New York Yankees. The A's, I think they felt that I kind of – monetarily they couldn't reach that level i mean ownership at that time we tried to get a deal done in spring training and they the ownership took it off the table shot and hoffman they took it off the table and i played that year without a contract you know coming into the next year because chipper had just signed and we were looking for chipper jones type of money and um i ended up having a monster year and that's when the yankees came calling and and uh the rest is kind of history so you didn't actually have an offer from the a's no, I did not. I did not. We we got close in spring training and then ownership. Billy Billy tried his best. Billy tried his best to try to get something done and unfortunately at that time ownership uh you know wasn't able, which is understandable. That was that was a big commitment of a contract for that for that team. I mean, it was a big contract and and I just felt they just felt that that team was so young and so I mean Tejada and Boulder and Zito and all those guys were coming into their prime. You know, Chavi as well with some young kids coming up through the minor leagues, you know, as far as like Travis Buck and, and everybody else that, you know, it, it was it was OK if I left. And they, they were great. I mean, the A's have been great for the last few years. You know, unfortunately, they just haven't been able to get over the hump and win a World Series. So you grow up in Southern California. You come up with the Oakland Athletics. Then you sign the big deal with the New York Yankees, which 
Playing for the Yankees is a whole different deal. What was it like your time in New York? And when did you like look up and go, my God, I'm a Yankee? Uh, it was unbelievable. I mean, that's truly what being a rock star is all about, playing for the New York Yankees. I mean, you, you go in hotel lobbies and there's, you know, thousands of people standing in the hotel lobby. And it, it's amazing. I mean, it's the mecca of baseball. The fans are amazing. And, um, you know, as a kid, just being a big history buff, I mean, putting on the same uniform as Babe Ruth and Mickey Mantle and Garrick. And, I mean, the list goes on and on, you know, who who has played in pinstripes is amazing. Yeah, it is. And, of course, the A's are taking on the Yankees this weekend. And uh, the A's recently just swept the Yankees. This is a, a, a really big series. And w- when I think about you playing there and, and with all the different stars, tell us what the pressure is like because the expectations are you win every day for all 162. Yeah, I mean – Mr. Steinbrenner did an amazing job of putting those teams together because most people forget that when Don Mattingly played there for all those years, I mean, he only made one playoff and it was a wild card. And, you know, and then all of a sudden they kind of started to put it together and won, you know, four World Series real quick and then won their fifth, fifth World Series. And, you know, all of a sudden the expectation got big, and it's it's awesome. It's just it's a whole different ball game. I mean, when you talk about all the media outlets and the media market, and and then all of a sudden we added Matsui. You know, now you have the Japanese media. It just was gigantic. You know, you walk in there and there's, I mean, it was so much media that they didn't even let the TV media. You had to go to them outside the clubhouse to talk to them. So it was just. And, you know, and there's always they want more stories and things. So you got to really like uh, put your time in for the media because they have to write their stories. How's your how's your brother doing? We haven't heard from him in a while. Yeah, he's doing great. He lives in Southern California. He's actually out here in Vegas right now. Um, we just played some golf together today. Oh, nice, nice. And by the way, yeah. Ve- Vegas is. Because I also work for the Raiders, and I know how the Raiders are moving there next year. And you think about the hockey team. All of a sudden, you know, where Vegas was just a minor league town, they're becoming big league real quick. Oh, we've really stepped up. There's no doubt. I mean, I remember I always thought living out here for so many years that we would be a basketball town because you had the Maloofs and everybody else. And all of a sudden, hockey came about, and it took off. I mean, Golden Knights, everything. It's amazing to go watch them play. I mean, it's the greatest show on skates, no doubt about it. And since then, we've going to have the Raiders and MLBs interested in putting their team. Our AAA is doing amazing, which is the A's organization. I mean, they're doing amazing. So it's it's been a lot of fun living out here to watch it develop. Have you made it to any Aviators games? I have not. It's on the other side of town. But I've seen pictures of it and renderings of it when it was going up. And I definitely want to get out there. I want to take my kids out there and and watch the, the guys play, no doubt about it. Yeah, it's, it's a minor league ballpark that cost $150 million. I mean, it's, it's, supposedly it's amazing. <laughs> it's a, hey, hey, we go big in Vegas. We don't mess around. <laughs> hey, Jason, it's always an honor to have you on the program. Continued success, and I really do mean it. We got to get you back in this game because this game's better with you in it. I really, really appreciate it. I'm so honored for you to say that, and thank you. It's always such a pleasure to be on your show. I appreciate it. Take care, Jason. Good seeing you. It's good talking to you. Take it easy. Bye-bye. Jason Giambi. Always, you know, I always will have a soft spot in my heart for that guy. He was great to me when I was, you know, we were both young. And, of course, I played against him in college. So, yeah, he's 48. He was born in 71. I was born in 72. 
But he was, I mean, everybody in the organization loved him. They absolutely loved him. And that's a little breaking news right there because I didn't know that. Because there was always the belief that there was a contract offer of around $90 million, something like that. We'll talk about that next coming up here. Come see us. We're at the Chicken Pie Shop of Walnut Creek. We're having an A's watch party. First pitch is going to be at 4 o'clock. We're going to be here. Also, that game I talked about yesterday, I got some stats on that Houston-Tampa game yesterday that are absolutely brutal. We'll talk all about that next right here on A's Cast Live. Now back to A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. It is A's Cast Live. Really cool having Jason Giambi on. Make sure you come see us. Chicken Pie Shop in Walnut Creek. We're having an A's watch party today. Oh, look, Ray Fossey's going to have Sal Bando on today. How about that? Captain Sal. That's what you get here with A's Cast and A's Cast Live. You get the best guest in the business. I'm kind of shocked. You know, that's something that really has not been talked about. I wonder who's now going to pick that up. It's not going to be the first time we broke news here on A's Cast Live. Jason Giambi was not offered a contract. That that kind of changes everything. Because I was very critical, because I was there, like some of the other people in the media, I was there when Jason Giambi was accepting the MVP award and the press conference, and he looked at his agent, Arn Tellum, and he's like, Arn, and he's crying, Arn, you need to get a, a deal done with the A's. And then the very next year, he's signing with the Yankees, and he's crying again, holding up a Yankee jersey, saying, my dad always wanted me to be a Yankee. And so I went, wait a minute. One year you're crying that, you're, that you want to be an A, and the next year you're crying because you're happy about being a Yankee. What's the deal? Well, I apologize because for years I used to bring that up because it was of the belief that there was a, a deal for like 90-something million on the table for Jason Giambi. Well, it sounds like that did not happen. Now, of course, that was part of the problem with the last regime, Schottenhoffman. They just, they did not want to spend money. And that's why it's so refreshing to have what we have now when you hear Dave Cavill talk about inking players up long-term and to have these players in, in, in the new ballpark when you hear that, that makes you feel good, right? Because you don't want Matt Chapman to be or Matt Olson to be the next Jason Giambi. And that's what's so tough of, you know, for Billy Bean. And as Jason just told you there, that Billy wanted to get it done, but it's not Billy's money. And it's ownership's money. They took their deal off the table and didn't offer him. Now, did Jason go on to great? I mean, truly, see, that. See, this to me is always the really tough thing when you start talking about long-term contracts. When you start inking somebody up into their 30s, 
mid-30s, late-30s, traditionally, it's not working. It's just not working. Now, Giambi did go on to have some monster years. Even at 37, he had 32 home runs and had 96 RBIs and an 876 OPS. So, of course, playing at Yankee Stadium, which for a left-handed hitter is a bandbox. But after he left, after he left Oakland, he hit 41. This is his home run totals. Because remember, when he went to New York, he was 31 years old. 41 home runs, 41 home runs, was ill, and only played in 80 games in 2004 at 33. Then he comes back and hits 32, 37, and then his last year with the Yankees, 32. Never won a World Series. But I, I, I am, I am, we got to get, you know, we're going to get Billy on the program soon. But I am shocked by that. Are you shocked by that? I am. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'll be even more shocked when we get Billy on the program. I've only been Why are you going to be shocked? I've only been asking for three months. But, no, that was, when he said that, I was like. Actually, the last time I ran into Billy, he told me, when are you going to have me on the show? Well, only got a couple home series, hope, uh, couple home stands left to get him on. But this is, I mean, that was, I always, I was always under the impression, too, because I was a huge Giambi fan living on the East Coast. That's when I got into the A's right before Moneyball happened with Giambi and Tejada and everything, and then the big three. But I always thought that, you know, the A's made a run at him. And then when he says that I only got an offer from the Yankees, I mean, it's kind of, that's kind of a, like, that's, that's breaking news kind of because, like you said, everyone only well, thought he yeah, got that there's deal. There's nobody else. Like, the Dodgers didn't offer him. The Angels didn't. I mean, you, you think about teams spending money. You think about the Mets. You think about the Cubs. You think about all these different teams that at that time were spending money. He only had one offer, so basically the, the the New York Yankees were negotiating against themselves. It's, it's an interesting. Uh, that's, that's an interesting take. Negotiating against yourself, but that's probably what they thought. They probably thought the Dodgers were probably out there. The the, the A's, the Mets, who were, well, they were always signing people, and half of them haven't still haven't worked out. But yeah, I mean that's that's um, thinking about that. He only got one offer, and it was from the Yankees. A I guy mean, the Red a, Sox. I yeah. mean, no one else did. Was it just basically everybody knew he was going to the Yankees and he just – that's the only offer he had? Well, I like the part where he said that he thought um, – he was waiting to see what Chipper Jones was going to get and he was going to ask for Chipper Jones money. And, you know, we all know how great Chipper Jones was. He turned out to be a Hall of Famer. But even Atlanta, that's surprising that Atlanta didn't go after him. They were always spending a ton of money too. I don't even remember what Chipper signed for. He, they would have been what? The, almost, no, Chipper would have been – well, they've been – they're about the same age, right? Chipper's in his late 40s. Let's see, Chipper Jones, because his deal wasn't that big. I think Giambi got a much better deal than Chipper Jones got. Trying to look that up as we speak. He signed a six-year deal worth $90 million on August 1st, 2000. Yeah, Giambi got 120. Yeah, that's seven years. One t- that, that's the thing, too. So he got the extra year and $30 million more. <laughs> it, it's like, it's like. Folks, this is life-changing money. I think we all know that, right? I mean, when you start talking about seven years, 120, someone offers you seven years, 120 million, you're taking it. You're not giving a discount. You're saying, I'm going to the Bronx. I'm going to play on the biggest stage. I'm taking that money. I mean, it, it, that, 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 anytime you're signing millions of dollars, it's life-changing. But, you know, you start signing these contracts over 100 million. I mean, th- th- this, this reflects for your family for generations. So, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna hate on Jason for for signing somewhere else, and of course, like like so many A's, he came back for one more year, and he came back and played for the A's in 2009. That's like that. That was that run where there was like Frank Thomas signed, Nomar signed, 
Piazza. Piazza. There yeah. were so many guys that signed that came in. They all had, I mean, besides, I mean, they all had good years, including Nomar. Well, but, the big hurt was an MVP yeah. candidate. That year he had in 2006 was absolutely amazing. That was the only series that Billy's won as a GM, right? Was 06? Was 06, yeah. Without, you know, that was one of those deals where Frank started off slow, and you're like, oh, my God, this is, you know. Frank's done. He's got bad feet. There's a reason why Chicago let him go, and there was an ugly divorce in Chicago. Then he goes back to Chicago, hits a few home runs, and then from there on out, he was one of the best and most dominant players in the game in 2006. But, wow, Jason Giambi is a free agent. He's the premier power-hitting first baseman in the game and only got one offer. Well, remember, remember who came in after Giambi came back in 09? That's, that was the beginning of the Jack Cust era. Oh, don't even get me started. <laughs> Do not even get me started. Okay, so check this out. I wanted to have this for you as this is yesterday's game. So, as I said, I'm in Seattle, and so I had to watch the A's game on my phone. And then after that, when the A's game was done, I was watching the Tampa take on the Houston Astros. And Tampa would outlast the Astros. What was the final that one, like 10-9 or 9-8? I think it was 9-8 was the final. Same, same as the A's game. So Thursday's game between the Astros and the Rays featured 12 pitchers. And then this game took forever, right? I mean, it was, it was, it was, oh, my God. Nine mound visits. There were 22 hits. There were 12 walks. It was a nine-inning game. And this is where, you know, something we harp on all the time. A nine-inning game that went four hours and six minutes. I mean, that is just, I mean, come on, man. Really? Four hours and six minutes to play nine innings. This is why I don't like the rule, but I now want to see it is where you got relievers got to face at least three guys. You, you can't keep going out to the mound time and time and time again. It's killing the game. You can't be playing. No one has the attention span of four hours. Who wants to sit and do the Who wants to sit four hours? You just want to sit and watch a baseball for four hours? Kids can't do it. Millennials are not going to do it. You can't be playing. For, the sport is not built to be played for four hours. This sport really is about two. I mean, it should Every game should be under three hours unless – unless you go extra innings. Most pitchers used in a game this year. The Angels and the Orioles on July 25th used 20 pitchers. 20 in a game. Two decades ago, the average game had 2.6 pitchers a game. Two decades ago. Now you're up to over eight a game. I believe that was the game where Stevie Wilkerson... Uh, saved the game as the uh, the Orioles center fielders when they got to save in that game. The first position player to ever get a save. By the way, the, this isn't September where you have the call-ups and you have unlimited guys. This is July 25th. They used 20 pitchers. And then the, the second most after that is Rockies and Giants and Rays and Twins. Rockies and Giants was on April 12th. And Rays Twins was on June 27th. 
they used 19 pitchers. 19. I mean, come on. That 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 you can't you can't tell me that's healthy for the game. And now you're now we're getting to September and and, and now it now it has the potential to get crazy. They have to do something about it. There's sometimes you need to make changes to your sport for the better. And no question, this is going to be for the better. Do we have Bill? Bill, welcome once again to A's Cast Live. We appreciate the time. Editor-in-chief of the A's Farm. You can follow him at, at Athletics Farm. Bill Moriarty joins us. Bill, how are you doing? Good, good. Always good to be with you, especially on a fine Friday. About ready to take on the Yankees here. Yeah, it doesn't get any better than this, right? Because normally it always seems like we play the Yankees early. How good is it having the Yankees late, had them late here in Oakland where the A's swept them, and then now late in the season playing at Yankee Stadium? Yeah, certainly if you like drama, it's perfect. And and then even as a little uh, added a bit today, of course, uh, Sheldon Noisy is making his major league debut in Yankee Stadium. So how, how great is that, especially for him and his family? Oh my! I, can you imagine? You imagine your first ever game is at Yankee Stadium. <laughs> I'd, I'd be nervous just sitting on the bench, let alone being in the being in the lineup. So I can only imagine how he and his family must feel today. But it's, it's a great opportunity for him, and he's had such a great season this year in AAA. I mean, he definitely did did a lot to earn this shot that he's getting there today. Yeah. So you, of course, you cover the Athletics Farm System as good as anybody, and he's been playing a lot of second base. Yeah, you know, it's really interesting because it, you know, last year he was strictly third base, and, you know, he, he struggled at the plate last year in Nashville, too. But his second year here in Vegas, he's been hitting up a storm all year, and he's just been getting better as the year has gone on. And in the last week and a half, the A's moved him over to second base and have had him playing there every day. They moved Franklin Barreto over to third at Vegas. He's never played third in his career, but they moved Barreto over to third base so he could get a look at Noisy at second base on a daily basis and see how he looks there. And uh, I was talking to A's assistant general manager Billy Owens the other day about him, and he was very high on his abilities at second base. He reminded me that uh, Noisy was a shortstop in college, so he played shortstop for three years in college. And, you know, he's got a good arm, and uh, Billy Owens noted that he's got really soft hands over there. He thinks he's got the ability to turn the double play. Even though physically, you know, he doesn't look like a sort of nimble infielder. He has more of a, a sort of Max Muncy body type. But he actually, you know, gets around pretty well in the field. And, uh, you know, Billy Owens, the way he talked about him, led me to believe that the A's are really, you know, looking at him as a serious second base option going forward possibly uh, next year. You know, he could be fighting for, for that spot at second base with the A's. Well, that's a great thing about the A's. If you produce, they're going to find a spot for you. And, you know, Seth Brown, we just, we, we've seen that so far. And, you know, you hit, you play, you're going to have an opportunity. And, you know, with, with, with Sheldon, we were thinking that he's blocked by Chapman. So is it possible he would be right. trade bait? But I like the, hey, if the guy can hit and you say he played short in college, why not put him out at second base? Because I think for a lot of us, you know, the, the second base experience this year has just truly not worked out. Yeah, no, I mean, that's obviously been a weak spot for the A's this year. They've tried a, tried a bunch of different things there. And, uh, you know, like I said, Noisy has shown no question about his ability to hit this year. And he's also, he's hit uh, 27 home runs. I think he's got 31 doubles. 
and he's been leading uh, Nashville in walks, too, which was a problem for him last year. So he's pretty much been doing everything. He's been getting on base. He's been hitting for power. And, uh, you know, as long as he can handle it in the field, you know, I think he, he at the very least, has earned the opportunity to compete for that position. And as we know, he'd, uh, he'd only be making the major league minimum if he made, made the squad, too. So that, does, that doesn't hurt either. So, <laughs> so when, when you're evaluating the aviators right now down in Las Vegas and they're using the same baseball up here, and we know the yeah. baseball's juiced, and we know the numbers are crazy in the big league level. We know the in AAA, the numbers are crazy. How do you truly evaluate pitchers and hitters with this, not only juice ball, but you got the, the juice parks down there in AAA? Yeah, especially in Las Vegas and uh, certain other parts like El Paso and Albuquerque, it really flies out. But, but it flies out pretty good in most of the league, too. So it is, it is tough to gauge. I mean, I think... You know, one thing you have to look at is is how far are the home runs going? You know, if guys are just barely uh, uh, dinking them over the fence, that might not fly out in Oakland. But if they're hitting hitting real moonshots, then you can figure, okay, maybe that would play in the major league. And I think, you know, that's one of the things the A's looked at when they uh, wanted to acquire Chris Davis is they analyzed, you know, how far out of the park his home runs were traveling in Milwaukee and figured, you know, this guy could actually hit a bunch out in Oakland, too. And so I think, you know, they've got some metrics to try to try to gauge, you know, which home ones would really play in the Coliseum. But still, it, it makes it tough to evaluate some of those hitters in Las Vegas when the team is hitting, you know, 11 home runs a night, which, which they've actually done this year. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and, and if a guy's actually throwing the ball well and he has good numbers as a pitcher, that, that really stands out. And, and I think about Sean Manaya and I also think about James Caprellian. Tell us about these two pitchers. And, uh, well, first let's start with Manaya. What do you think will happen for Sean in September? Well, I think, you know, I mean, as you know, you've probably seen him around the A's. He's been, um, he's made, uh, he's been around there in Oakland. Uh, just in case he's been needed. And I think, you know, he'll be added to the roster in September. And it's just a question of how they want to use him. I mean, you know, they could do a sort of tandem thing where maybe they've got him go four innings and they've got another starter go four innings. You know, they could just have him, you know, be a, be a long reliever out of the bullpen. You know, it's tough to say what they're going to do. A lot of times they'll, they'll always say, well, these things work themselves out. And oftentimes somebody gets hurt and they do work themselves out. But if it doesn't work itself out, they're, they're probably either going to have to put him in the bullpen or, or create a tandem situation with another starter. Um, you know, Naya still hasn't been throwing that hard. He's been up to, up to 92, I know. Um, but his stuff was really sharp in his last outing. He struck out 12 in his last outing at Las Vegas, and he was really dominant. So it looked that was the first outing where he really looked like he'd rounded back into that old Major League Sean Manaya form. But, um, you know, I think he'll, he'll be pitching there in Oakland in September. It's just a matter of the, the, best, the, the best spot for him. Um, the other guy, of course, down there, too, is, is uh, Jesus Lazardo, who's actually set to make the start for Las Vegas tonight. And um, he threw four and two-thirds scoreless his last time out. And he's been throwing really hard. He's been up to 98 miles an hour. Uh, but, again, when I was talking to uh, Billy Owens, you know, he suggested that maybe – Lizardo's not best throwing that hard because he's actually been walking a few guys, which is kind of unusual for him. And uh, Owen suggested that, you know, Lizardo's maybe got a little better command if he's throwing in the mid-90s as opposed to throwing that hard. But it's good to know that, that he's feeling healthy enough that he can throw that hard 
and it's just a matter of, of refining his command a bit. But he'll be making another start in Vegas tonight, like I mentioned, so it'll be really interesting to see how he does there uh, tonight against the Tacoma. Yeah, right now, no question, the Athletics have depth, and that, that is good in the starting rotation. And Caprelli, in the former first-round pick by the New York Yankees, who came over as one of three players in the Sonny Gray deal, he was 16th selection overall, looks like he is finally healthy, and he's throwing the ball yeah. away. Yeah, definitely. He's riding uh, an 11 and two third inning scoreless streak right now, and he's been really—he's uh, only been pitching four to five innings each time out, but he's been starting to look really dominant. I think he's only given up five hits in his last 18 innings, and he only gave up one earned run in that time as well. And his velocity has been increasing, which is a great sign. He had been throwing in the low 90s. He's now been touching 96 at times. He's still throwing around 93 most of the time, but he's getting up and occasionally hitting those 95s and 96s, which is great to see because it looks like his velocity is starting to return the more he throws. But he's been really good at really good at Midland. He's got an ERA in the ones right now. And, uh, you know, next year they'll be able to stretch him out a little more. He'll be able to go more than four or five innings. But his command has been sharp, and uh, he's been fooling a lot of guys. So I think, you know, next year you could see – uh, guys like Caprillion, Grant Holmes, Dalton Jeffries, all ready for AAA. And remember, these guys were all either first round or first round supplemental draft picks. And uh, they're, you know, they've come back this year and shown they're healthy and pitched well and performed well. So you could have a new new crop of rising prospects there pitching at AAA next year. So you keep seeing guys getting called up, and the one guy that doesn't get called up who's continuing to have a, a terrific year is Jorge Mateo. So did you get to talk to yeah. Billy Owens about why don't we see him? Well, I'll tell you one thing. You know, he had he played in the Futures game, and then he had a little ankle injury after that, so he had, he had a brief stint on the IL. And then um, when he came, since he came back from that, he hasn't been quite as hot as he was earlier in the year. So um, even though he, he was really hitting phenomenally well early in the season, I think in August he's only been hitting around 220, and, you know, he hasn't been showing kind of the pop. So even though it's been a great year across the board for Jorge Mateo, everyone's thrilled with his progress and his development this year. He's been a little cold in the last month. And, it, you know, if you notice the guys the A's call up, they tend to be on a hot streak, you know, really, really on a tear. So I think the timing has just been a little bad for him. But the A's are feeling really good about him. And I still think there's a good chance that you will see him in September because he's got that blazing speed. And, you know, that's a great weapon to have, you know, uh, coming down the last month of the season, occasionally you need, a, you need a pinch runner or you need a guy who can do some damage on the bases. Jorge Mateo is definitely capable of uh, doing that in, in any game. I've been asking this question about Franklin Barreto this year, and especially <laughs> after he was sent down again. If Franklin Barreto was a stock, would you be buying his stock? Would you be buying or selling Franklin Barreto? Well, I'll tell you, for, for a long time, I would have been buying, but, but I'll be honest with you, at this point, I think I might be selling. Now, that's not to say that I don't think he can be a successful major league hitter. I think he can, but I think he's one of those guys that kind of needs the perfect situation. He kind of needs to have a chance to play every day and get really comfortable. When he tends to go on these big tears, it's when he's been playing every day and, and gotten into a groove. And I think it's hard for him if he's not playing every day to settle into that groove. And I just don't know that he's going to get that opportunity with the A's at this point. It just seems like he's never going to get that clear shot. And if he's not going to get that clear shot with the A's, 
then, you know, it might be better if he gets that clear shot somewhere else. But since he went back down to, to Vegas, I mean, I think he's got an OPS around 900 in the month of August. So, you know, he's shown he can hit, but, you know, he, he just can't do it in the in the, the sort of situations he's been given in, in Oakland thus far anyway. Yeah, he hasn't got a, a steady body of work. And unfortunately, when he's been here, he struggles to make contact. So that's why it's so tough is, as you say, you look at his AAA numbers, you want to give him that opportunity. But the minute he comes yeah. up here, he struggles to make contact and then you can't play him. Yeah, no, I mean, it's tough in a pennant race. You know, you can't be sort of giving a guy a, a long leash to figure it out. You know, you need to put a productive hitter in that slot every day. So that's what's been tough. I mean, you know, like even this season, he started out after he got sent down. He started out April and May really, you know, kind of struggling a bit. And then in June, he became like the best hitter in the PCL, you know, but he needed that time to find that groove. And like I said, I, I you know, from the looks of things, I just don't know that the A's are going to be in a position to give him that kind of time to find that groove at any point in the near future. So, you know, like I said, I would have been buying on him before, but at this point I'm, I'm starting to think selling might be the wiser option. And, you know, the A's are going to have to make some moves in the offseason. They've got a lot of young players that they're going to have to add to the 40-man roster if they don't want to lose them either as minor league free agents or in the Rule 5 draft. They're going to have a bit of a roster crunch. So I think there's going to have to be some wheeling and dealing with some of the prospects this offseason, if for no other reason, just to clear some roster room for all the guys they're going to need to protect in the offseason. So Barreto was once considered a top prospect. He was also considered the guy that was thrown into the trade that made the A's trade, Josh Donaldson. What would you call yep. – he's still young, though, at what, 23 years old. What would you call him yep. right now? How, what, what would be the label? Oh, that's a good question. Well, I, I, I would still call him a prospect. Um, uh, he, he, he's becoming just a more mature prospect, which is uh, a guy who's been in the minor leagues for a, a little longer as a prospect. But, I mean, for years he's really been the A's top-hitting prospect. And, look, I, I, you know, if the A's wanted to deal him, I guarantee you they, could get, you know they could get something of value in return for him. There are a lot of teams that look at him and, and you know, and feel – uh, that, you know, he's got something to offer. And, uh, you know, he's got some versatility as well. He's played a lot of spots, and now they've had him playing third base recently too. But I think that also shows you if they're going to move Barreto over to third base, uh, you know, so Noisy can get more time at second, that does tell you that his stock, to at least of some degree, has dropped a little bit within the organization. They're, they're a lot more interested in seeing what Noisy can do over there. But, you know, I, I definitely wouldn't be surprised if, if he ended up being, you know, packaged in the offseason uh, for some, you know, to fill some other holes that the A's needed. Um, you know, if they're not going to give him a clear shot in Oakland, it's just, it's just kind of a waste to have him, you know, spending another year in AAA if you're not going to give him a real opportunity uh, with the big league club. And where are you on Dustin Fowler? Well, you know, I mean, I think that's another guy that you can tell, you know, his stock has dropped a, a bit, even though he's had a good good year at the plate in, in uh, Vegas. It, you've seen other guys come up. You've seen Sky Bolt come up. You've seen Seth Brown come up. Um, you know, they obviously haven't looked at Dustin Fowler as the go-to guy when they've needed outfield help. I mean, I think the main thing with Dustin Fowler, I mean, he's hit, I think, 25 home runs this year, um, but he's still, you know, got problems with plate discipline. He's not walking that much i think he's walked about 39 40 times and he struck out about 140 times so i think that's the main problem with him until 
you see some real improvement in the plate discipline, um, he's still going to have the same problems. He's still going to be getting fooled at the major league level like he has in the past. So, I, I, you know, I think even though he's, he's hit well at, at Vegas this year, I think his stock has dropped, and he's obviously fallen behind guys like Seth Brown and uh, perhaps uh, Sky Bolt as well. Um, so I, I wouldn't be surprised as well if, uh, if uh, the A's found a taker for him in the offseason as well. Of course, this is sheer speculation on my part, but these are guys that, you know, seem to have hit a wall in AAA and don't really look like they're going to get a full-time shot in the major league. So it certainly would make sense to, to move them while they still have some value to, uh, to other teams anyway. Yeah, and then you know what I'd throw in? Let's end on this. The fact that Mark Canna, by my new nickname for him, and he actually likes it, is duct tape. Because whenever anything's broke, <laughs> what do you do? You put duct tape. Uh, you get duct tape on it. So uh, the fact that you've had Mark Canna be able to step in in right field when Piscotty's been able to go down. You could throw Pender in this too. But yeah, the other big factor is that when, when Ramon Laureano went down, Mark Canna has stepped in as the everyday center fielder. It is truly amazing. How, how much has that affected some of these guys in AAA that, that Canna has emerged as the center fielder? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, the A's are so fortunate to have hung on to both Mark Canna and Chad Pinder. You can see their value over the course of the season. Um, I think, you know, maybe in the offseason, a lot of A's fans weren't, weren't that high on either of them. But these guys are really valuable over the course of a season. And just imagine if we didn't have Canna to step in there. You probably would have had, you know, a series of rotating AAA call-ups trying to find a guy to plug into that spot, you know. You might have seen a guy like Sky Bolt get a real shot in center field. You might have seen Dustin Fowler get another shot in center field. But because Canna is able to, to do what he's done, that, you know, that really has blocked the opportunities for, for a lot of these guys down there. And, you know, that's, you know, that's bad news for the guys in AAA. But, hey, you know, it's great news for the big league club if you've got guys on your bench that you can plug in and take a, a full-time role and you don't have to try to rely too much on your uh, AAA guys. If you do, you're, you're probably reaching and stretching a little bit. So it's great that Canada's been able to do that. It's blocked a few guys, but, you know, at the end of the day, it's much better to have a productive Mark Canna in center field than, than even getting a look at some of these prospects, which would be fun for some of us. I'd, I'd still much rather have a healthy, productive Mark Canna in the middle of that A's lineup every day. At Athletics Farm, where else can we find you? Uh, you can find our website online at athleticsfarm.com, on Twitter at Athletics Farm, and of course you can find our weekly minor league podcast on the uh, A's Cast podcast as well. We've got a big, uh, a big uh, interview with A's assistant GM Billy Owens uh, up there right now. Great stuff as always, and we'll talk in September. Great. Good talking to you, Chris. Yeah, Bill is definitely solid. No question about that. Knows his stuff, knows what's going on in the minor league. I just had to check my phone. I was like, are we still in August? And we are still in August. It's it's almost September. Where did time fly? So, so it's Sunday's going to be September first, and we got late. Oh, we got Labor Day off. <laughs> Commander Cody made that happen. I was like, "What do you mean we have Labor Day? We never have a Labor Day off." This has been the weirdest schedule in the history of baseball. It, we, we've had multiple Fridays off. We've got Labor Day off. I believe, well, we put in the 4th of July, but 
I believe they were saying that I, I think the Giants had for, uh, Fourth of July. But it was like the first time since like World War II they didn't play on Fourth of July. Yeah, we had a date. <laughs> what, 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 what day did what day did the A's have off that they hadn't been they hadn't had that day off since like the thirties or something like that? There was something like that. I, I just remember the Friday thing was like I remember Ken telling us he was telling us about his career trajectory and it was like it was the first AF, A's Friday day off since nineteen eighty and I was working in. What do you say, Petaluma or something doing radio? <laughs> what are you doing for Labor Day? Um, we're going to Pismo, actually. Are you guys going to Pismo Beach? I like Pismo Beach. It's, uh, if you're a Yankee fan, it's also known as Glaber Day, the great John Sterling. It's Glaber Day. Would you get tired of that as a fan? No. I don't think I'd like it. Like, like it, it's cool to, like, watch the – Watch the MLB Network and you hear the call. The GM Bino. But if that was every game. And by the way. The names have to be creative. Like, the, the Glaber Torres one's good. I don't really care for his Gary Sanchez when he calls him the Sanchino. That, that's whatever. The Aaron, the Aaron Judge one's good. The All Rise. Here comes the Judge. But that would just get. You're trying to tell me that wouldn't get old? Um, by the way, I have some numbers that would. You know what? I'm going to prove it would get old. And then also, I got an update on the A schedule. That is pretty fascinating. We'll do all of that next. And don't forget, coming up at 2.30, we have David Force, the general manager of your Oakland Athletics. We're having an A's watch party at the Chicken Pie Shop in Walnut Creek Restaurant Bar and Grill. Full bar, full menu. Come by, stop by, as we're going to be hanging here watching the A's and the Yankees, which you can hear on 860 AM in the Bay Area, which you can hear on Sports 1140 KHKA in Sacramento, Northern California, the Valley, and, of course, on A's Cast. But you are listening to A's Cast Live. Broadcasting from the town, A's Cast Live continues. And Glaber swings and drills one. Deep left field. It is high. It is far. It is gone. It's a three-run home run for Glaber Torres. It's Glaber Day again. Glaber Torres hits his 12th home run against Baltimore. Wow. A three-run home run like a good Glaber. Torres is there. What a shot by Gary Sanchez. The Sanchino. It is high. It is far. It is gone. A judging blast to deep left center field. All rise. Here comes the judge. The sun will come out. Tanaka. Bet your bottom dollar with Tanaka. An A-bomb from A-Rod. His 500th home run. Ball game over. Yankees win. Yankees win. It's so corny. And I don't mean to be disrespectful. And don't anybody tweet this. Don't don't, don't quote me on this because I can just see people like, how could you? That's sacrilegious. I I just, I couldn't listen to that every day. Friend of the program, how are you going to do that? I just, it's, it's corny. It's like New York. You're better than that. You're you're you're, you're the number one market. <laughs> Labor Day. You, you have corny go- little nickname. Then the problem is, okay. For example, I have some Nuggy Nugs. You ready for some Nuggy Nugs? The Yankees have hit 70 home runs in 28 games in August. That's the most home runs in a single calendar month for any team in Major League Baseball history. So you're getting these calls constantly. Seven, they've hit 70 home runs. By the way, you know who's been bad? Friend of the program, CC Sabathia. CC is 0-4 with a 9.98 ERA, 
and given up eight home runs over his last four starts. It's not good. Friend of the program has not been good. By the way, the Yankees, the 70 home runs, there's still two days left in August, including today. you got today and tomorrow. Uh, the record was 58, set by the 87 Orioles and the 99 Mariners. 70 home runs in 28 games. By the way, your Oakland Athletics, before we chat with the general manager. Live from New York. He's in New York. He's in New York. Do you got the – I like you got a little hair on his head. No, we got to do that in person with him. Yeah. I don't want to do that on the phone. We have to ask how much of Moneyball, when the scouts were together and they had – his bat, it, it rings all over the ballpark. <laughs> How much of that is actually true? Uh, I got you again, huh? Yeah, yeah, that's that. Yes, you do, David. Yes, you, can we play that for him? Uh, I got you again, huh? Can you play that? Will, will millennial technology allow us to have him on live, and you can play that? I can. Thank you, Billy Bean. <laughs> all right, the A's. Where is it? I lost it? I have this great nugget about the A's, about the about the rest of the schedule. Where'd it go? Oh, okay. After these three games against the Yankees, 22 of the A's' final 26 games are against teams with losing records. All they got left to get to the house with teams with winning record, these three games against the Yankees, and then four games against the Houston Astros. That's it. So they're playing a lot of bad teams. And you, your destiny's in your own hands. That, that, that's the number one thing for the, for the A's, is that if they take care of their business, they are going to be in the postseason. And we're looking at a wild card game. And I'd like that wild card game to be in Oakland. But the game could be in Cleveland. The game could be in Tampa. Why is my wife calling me? Hold on. Live from New York, this ABC update with Cody. The Kansas City Royals and owner David Glass reaches agreement to sell the team to Kansas City businessman John Sherman for $1 billion. Now remember, we talked to him the other day. He bought it for $96 million. He just sold it for 10 times. What did he bought it for? I would call that a good investment. If you bought something for $96 million, you hold on to it for 20 years, and then you sell it for $1 billion? I think, I think, that, I think that's a $1 billion. Kansas City Royals worth $1 billion? That's unbelievable. I asked Alex this question yesterday. Buying or selling the Royals return to relevancy before the Detroit Tigers? Oh, I, who knows? They're both terrible. Uh, well, I mean, the Tigers are historically bad. Are the Tigers going to break the record of 120 losses? They're going to win five games over the last whatever they have left, <laughs> including the four they have against the A's in Oakland. What the suspended game, too. The suspended game's in there. To set the to not A's are at 5-3. to three. Was it in the seventh inning, I think? Yeah, yeah seventh inning. No, the question was, uh, will you be doing play-by-play -play for that game? You were on the call to start no. it. Oh, all right, well. No. If they lose, that means that you were on a winning streak there, so Ken might Oh, yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Ken, Ken can't match my winning percentage. You can't touch my winning percentage this year as a play-by-play -play guy. That, that, that road trip, I was undefeated. I mean, that's they got the, the, the road trip, yes. Sweep in Detroit, sweep in Cleveland. I was undefeated. You only lost, like, what? They only lost, like, what, one game the whole time you were on the play-by-play -play this year? 
Uh, I lost the game in Texas. And I think I lost the game in Tampa. That was it. But my, 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 my play-by-play record was that's phenomenal. That's pretty good to only have two losses. That's a really high winning. You'd be a Hall of Famer with that, that uh, exactly. percentage. Exactly. How about Mark? Did you did you know Marcus Simeon? I didn't realize his WAR is up to five point eight. That's pretty good. He leads all Major League Baseball shortstops in WAR. That's I mean he truly is an MVP candidate. Did he pass? Uh, I think Chapman still be is still ahead of him, but I mean that's really good. I mean Marcus Simeon's leading. I mean that's do we have David? We do. It's now time for the David Force Show right here on A's Cast Live in A's Cast. He's in New York. It's a big series against the Yankees. How we doing, David? I am uh, live in the uh, dugout here at Yankee Stadium. So whatever whatever scouting report you need, Chris, I got you covered. Well, you know, give us a scouting report on on the stadium because everybody tells me that this stadium is absolutely incredible. Have you you haven't been to the new park, huh? I've only been to the old one. Okay, it's yeah, it's great. They did a great job. It look, it it lacks a little bit of a character of of old Yankee Stadium. I remember sitting down uh, by the dugout in the old park, and you really felt like there were fifty thousand Yankee fans on top of you in that place. And and this uh, you're a little further back here. There's obviously a little bit more of a corporate feel, but um, but it's beautiful. The the facilities are great. And, Sweets are nice, so they, they did a wonderful job. So we were just talking about Marcus Simeon. He has the, the best war in all of baseball for shortstops at 5.8. I mean, David, he truly is an MVP candidate. Wouldn't you say he should at least get some votes? Yeah, I know. I heard Bob mention that after uh, one of the games in Kansas City. I mean, what an incredible series he had there, helping us get three out of four, which was huge, and um, yeah, I think he's just a few points behind Chap in terms of overall war, and uh, he's in that next tier of, of guys right behind, uh, you know, Trout's up above, and then there's a few guys with Marcus and Chapman mixed in. It's, uh, it's been a fantastic year. Yeah, and to think that not only you and I have talked about how his defense has gotten better and how he's one of the best shortstops in the game, but the fact that, and I don't know if you guys really had this plan, that he would be your full-time leadoff hitter. What was the plan going into this year compared to where we are now with him leading off every game versus righty and lefties? You know, to be honest, Bob wanted him in there uh, leading off to some extent. You know, we talked a lot in the offseason. We really liked the idea of Marcus hitting leadoff. I think we all were a little uh, hesitant about how he was going to do against righty in the leadoff spot. His career on base percentage versus right-handed pitchers coming into the season um, was a concern, but uh, you know, it really only took the first couple games in, in Tokyo to see how, how he approached his at-bats and was attacking the ball, and uh, he's been there ever since. So, yeah, Bob, Bob said early on he was the guy who wanted us top. Yeah, Bob loves his Cal guys, and that's where we go to Mark Canna after that. And, I, and, I, and I've given Mark Canna the nickname Duct Tape, and he actually likes the nickname. So does Bob. I mean, the versatility that he's given you at DH, right field, now center field. Just talk about, you know, I believe Simeon's your MVP, but not far behind it. What Mark Canna has provided for you is just outstanding. Well, he finally got a little national recognition with uh, Player of the Week honors last week, which was fantastic. And he didn't exactly slow down in Kansas City. He had a big two-homer game early on. And, yeah, you and I have talked about it. He's you know, playing center field now for Ramon. He played right every day when Steven was out. And, uh, yeah, he can do just about anything out there. So he's, he's been huge, hitting four or five in the lineup right now. And, 
Uh, he's a guy who uh, who was always counted on against both righties and lefties. In fact, he's had he's had years where he's better against righties than lefties, and uh, has proven to be more durable this year than ever before. Before we get to Sheldon Noisy, there's something that you have done in your career. Is basically you've said to the young guys, "Hey, listen." If you succeed and play well, you will get an opportunity in the big leagues. How big is that for you when you guys send that message to your young guys that they know if they perform, they'll get a shot? I hope it, it resonates down in uh, in AAA and even down to AA, and I hope these guys look at the track record of, of some of the guys coming up and, and realize it is about who's playing the best. I mean, guys, guys obviously come into the organization in different ways, whether they're they're drafted here, whether we trade for them. A, a guy like Corbin Joseph comes over at the minor league rule five draft. Um, it doesn't matter how you get here. Once you're in the organization, you're an A. And if you're playing well and, and you earn the opportunity, you're going to get here. And, and just look, in the last few weeks, you know, from Puck to Joseph to Noisy to Seth Brown, I mean, all these guys, different ages, different track records, different paths here, but it's been great to see them contribute. Yeah, and there's just something special about a debut. It's different than any other sport because, you know, normally, you know, you get drafted in football, you're going to make the – normally you're going to make the roster. Same thing with basketball. But there's something about this call-up from AAA. Sometimes it happens in AA. There's just something so romantic about it with our sport. Talk about as a general manager when you have someone like Fran Reardon gets to tell someone like Seth Brown that they're coming up, and then on television we get to see the parents and the family all celebrating. Just what is that like in baseball? It's great. I think I said this previously it's one of the best parts of the job to to make that call to fran and, and give him the news that he's going to get to have that conversation because it's look being a triple a manager is not an easy job you've got a lot of guys there who frankly think they should be here and uh some of them are disgruntled a lot of times you're delivering bad news and guys get released so i know how much fran relishes that opportunity and um you know the thing about baseball and why it is i think so romantic the way you put it because all these guys have such a grind to get here. They're spending years in the minor leagues, you know, some more than others. You know that their families are watching on MILB along, you know, with us every night. And uh, they just, you don't have that in, in basketball or football. And um, it's, it's a lot of fun. You know, Seth Brown, you know, drafted out of, out of Lewis and Clark and grew up in Oregon. He grinded out in the minor leagues and to watch him come up and, you know, get four hits a night uh, or last night in Kansas City, it's, you know, it's a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, and Fran, friend of the program, we've had him on a couple times, manager of the year. That's pretty cool for him and, and the Aviators. It was great he, and very well deserved. I mean, uh, going into a new ballpark, high expectations, uh, a lot of good prospects to manage, but they've had a, an incredible year. They're, they're two up with four to play over El Paso, so. We're really hoping they close it out this weekend and make the playoffs. So Sheldon Noisy, we thought, was blocked by Matt Chapman. You move him over to second base. He's going to DH tonight, and that's something that we know with Bob Melvin. Once he gets a guy up, he wants to get him in right away and get and get his feet wet. So he's been playing some second base. What are you projecting for him as he's up here? I think we want to get him the at-bats where, where they're available. Um you know, obviously, like you said, playing third base down there uh, wasn't going to get him too many ABs here. And then, in fact, 
to Sheldon's credit, he played third base this year and played it really well. He really improved on his defense this season. Um, but we figured we'd move him over to second, get him some reps there. He's actually taken some fly balls in left field as well. And, uh, you know, when you hit the way that Sheldon did this year, 300-plus average, 27 or so homers, uh, we got to find a spot for you up here. And, and he's going to bounce around. Like you said, he's, he's the agent tonight. I'm, I'm guessing he'll be in there at second base in the next few days because we got some more lefties coming up, and uh, we're hoping he can contribute just like those other guys. Yeah, we found out he played shortstop in college, so is is he another one of these guys? You know, when we talk <laughs> about Pender and we talk about Canna that can play all these multiple positions, it, do you view him as, as a player that can play multiple infield spots? I, I think so. I mean, it's been a while since he played shortstop. You're right. In fact, I saw him play there at, uh, at Oklahoma when he was in college, but um, yeah, I mean, that's there's such a, a value to the manager in having guys that can do that and bounce around. I mean, we talked about Mark. I mean, Chad's story is is well uh, narrated that he moves around everywhere. So the more guys like that, yes, these are these robots to make out a lineup. What are the plans for Shamaniah going forward? Uh, I think we'll find out after Sunday. I mean, I think we'll, we'll the plan. He's feeling great. He threw a side yesterday in Kansas City for emo. Reports were good, and we'll activate him on Sunday. And then you know, from after the day off Monday, we've got six teams straight. And we all know this is the time of year when, when starters kind of get gassed, maybe can use an extra day. So uh, I'm hoping, you know, we find a spot for him to start in there. Uh, I think we talked to him as well about, you know, being a long guy out of the pen nights when, you know, again, a starter comes out after four or so and we got a bridge to the guys at the back, maybe get Sean in there mid-game. He's, you know, he's worked so hard. He just wants to be a part of this team. He's obviously willing to do anything. Uh, and I think he, he can be a big part of our September. Well, yeah, and I depth, we've been waiting for the depth, and it looks like it's finally here. Jesus Lazardo's going to go again tonight in, in Las Vegas. He gives you another potential guy to be able to be starting. So talk about this depth that you're finally getting for September. Yeah, it's it's going to be nice. I mean, we saw how the bullpen got worn out just in the last four days alone. And, you know, hot hot temperatures in Kansas City, the starters did as well as they could. And we, we used every bit of that bullpen to win three out of four games. So I know Bob and Emo were eagerly anticipating some reinforcements on on Sunday and, and even beyond that once Vegas is done. So it'll be it'll be good to, to have some weapons out there and, and actually a couple extra guys on the bench too, uh, being able to running some defensive replacements. I know Bob really looks forward to that stuff in September. You know, when I start thinking about bullpens, bullpens are just getting chewed up in Major League Baseball as – yeah, there's the potential that the bullpen ERA for the first time since 69 could be higher than starters ERAs overall. Do you think there may be a flip in baseball to where we've been so much into bullpenning to where it's now like, you know, we really need our starters to be going longer than what they've been going. Do you see? Do you think we'll have a flip in the game? I, I think any time something goes to one extreme like that, it, it's always bound to come back the other direction. And, uh, you know, we talked – Early in the season, I told you, it's, just, it's hard to maintain that over the course of the regular season and, and working with a, even with a 13-man pitching staff, uh, but knowing how you need to use your bullpen. And, and that's why the Rays are so much credit for, for doing it successfully because it's not easy to do. Um, you know, we'll have some more opportunities now in September potentially if we want to, though 
we've got five starters right now who are uh, who are pretty darn good. So I'm not sure we're going to use the opener, but uh, but we will have some more options, and, and uh, it'll be nice not to rely on those guys quite quite as much. Oh yeah, I mean that's something I've been talking about. Like you know, everybody's like, what's going on with Lazardo? What's going on with Manaya? You know, the way your five is going right now, you know, you made the trade, you brought some veterans in. I think you have to be thrilled with what your starters are giving you. No doubt about it. Yeah, Homer and Tanner have both done incredibly. Um, yeah, I mean, we talk, we've talked about fires, uh, you know, looking for a good start out of Brett tonight. And, and Bassett finally, you know, after so many years of being up and down and rehab, and I think he's. You know, I know how happy he is to be able to take the ball every fifth day this season. You know, let's end on this. As Liam Hendricks was over at the MLB Network today, he was on MLB Central. I mean, you just think back of where where you are. You're sitting there at Yankee Stadium. He started the 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 he started the wild card <laughs> game. You DFA'd him on June 25th. Then he's starting the wild card. Now he's an All Star closer. Have you ever seen a turnaround like this in your career? It's hard. It's hard to remember something quite like that. But uh, yeah, if anyone could have done it, Liam. Liam could. He doesn't. He doesn't doubt himself. He, he even when you know even when he was hurt last year when, when he got sent down. I think he always believed he'd be back here. And uh, it's hard to imagine where we'd be without him. No doubt about it, David. Thank you for the time. Enjoy the series. We'll see you back in Oakland next week. Okay. See you next week, Tony. The David Force Show right here on A's Cast Live and A's Cast talking to the general manager about what's going to be happening here and uh, good things. I think there's no question when, when, when you have depth, especially towards the end of the year, because we've waited, right? We've waited. When's Mania coming back? When's Lazardo coming back? And it looks like as we're hearing that, you know, Jesus is touching 98, my God. But if he can live around 96 with that breaking ball, I mean, you could see some really good things for the athletics and give some guys some rest. I mean, you'd like to open up a big enough lead to where you could set your rotation up down the stretch and, most importantly, have Mike Fires ready for that one-game wild card. Because last year you didn't know what you wanted, right? They didn't know, so they went with just a bullpen game. This year the key is Mike Fires needs to be starting this wild card game. I don't care where it is. If it's in Oakland, if it's in Cleveland, if it's in Tampa, Mike Fires needs to be on the mound. Can you open up a big enough cushion from whoever it's going to be? Is it going to be Cleveland? Is it going to be Tampa? They play each other this weekend. Unfortunately, the A's don't get a crack at either of them for the rest of the way. That would be nice. That's where you can get some separation. But if you can get it some separation, guarantee yourself that wild card game and get Mike Fires lined up for that, that would be the perfect scenario. How long are we going until here, Commander? About 3.03. 3.03. Very exact, very exact time, I know. So we're having a watch party here at the Chicken Pie Shop Restaurant and Grill Bar, full bar here in Walnut Creek. So come by the Chicken Pie Shop. We're going to be watching the A's game. A's up against the New York Yankees. All right. Is it time for buying or selling? Did you want to do that or do you want to break first? Yes. We will, uh, we will do a little buying or selling. Come up right here on A's Cast Live. Now back to A's Cast Live. Broadcasting from the town, here's Chris Townsend. All righty. This is it. 
the grind after these three games. Against the Yankees, there's only 26 games left. And once again, 22 will be against teams that are under 500. It is a sprint to the finish line. There's no question. You ready for buying or selling? It's time for buying or selling. Sell, sell. Right now with Chris Townsend on A's Cast Live. Hey, by the way. Good news, Matt Chapman back in the lineup today. He played defensively in the ninth inning yesterday, so that was a good sign, too. Yeah. Good, to see, good to see him back. I was telling Alex this yesterday, we need to change that open. It's now time for buying or selling with Commander Cody. I host this segment. Wow. Demands. Look at you. I'm getting a big head here. Wow. All right, so we'll start this one up easily. You and I were talking about this off the air the other day, and it made me think of it, and I'll bring it up. Because you thought of, you said Pete Alonso or Chris Bryant. Well, I, saw, I read an article yesterday about Pete Alonso versus this guy. Currently, Jordan Alvarez and Pete Alonso are having incredible rookie seasons. Jordan Alvarez might win AL Rookie of the Year, only playing in 62 games so far. But Pete Alonso, we know, is hitting 263 of 42 home runs, oh which he might have the uh, might break the NL, might break the Major League Baseball record for home runs by rookie, which was set by Aaron Judge at 52 two years ago. Let's just get to this quickly. Buying or selling Jordan Alvarez will be a better building block than Pete Alonso. Uh kind of tough for me to go against Pete. Pete's been pretty Pete's been pretty legit. I mean, Alvarez is hitting 329 with 23 homers and only played 62 games. I hear you. I hear you, but just Pete Pete I mean, he looks like a guy. He's a he, he's a wrecking machine. You know, when you're in that Astros lineup, I mean, everybody can hit in that Astros lineup. Pete's, true. Pete's the kind of guy that, that can like carry a team. Their only weak link in that lineup is probably their catcher, and Torino's is still having a pretty good year for catching Sanders. So what was that? What was I buying or selling on? Uh, Jordan Alvarez will be a better building block than Pete Alonso. I, I, I'm going to sell. I'm still going to go with my my guy Pete. All right. Well, Polar Bear wins this one for you. I'm going to obviously everyone knows I'm going to take Jordan Alvarez. I think he's going to break Barry Bonds' record for most home runs in a in career. I've already stated that many times. Wow, that's not a big leap. Am I am I being honest about it? Probably not, but we'll find out. We'll find out in twenty <laughs> that's years. That's not a big yeah. So well, Ace Cast Live be around in twenty years. Buying or selling? Uh, buying. I don't know if it might, might, might be a different name, I'll with different people, but <laughs> I'll be retired by then. Well, hopefully, uh, I move on to bigger bigger things with Ace Cast and just being the producer of this program. What are you talking about? This is the biggest movie of your career. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll get to host it at some point. Oh, now you're already trying to throw me out. Yeah. Well, that, that, Alex is already doing that, apparently. Alex Jensen's taking my spot. Uh, did you get Wally Pipp this week? I don't know. No, nah, I don't there think was, so. There was, we had a P1 listening. I mean, it was Matt Pearl, but we had a P1 listening yesterday. What did he say? Uh, he, he likes he likes the show. Without me? No, he likes show all the shows. I mean, this is the number one podcast in all of baseball. I'm, a, I'm kind of a big part of it. You're the and face it, of Ace Cast. In five months, we're number one, and you're trying to throw me out already? Well, actually, I've only been here for almost four now, so we've done a really great job in those four months. Okay, so Garrett Cole, we know, has been incredible this year. I'm going to run some numbers by you. He's the first pitcher in Astros history with 15 games of 10 or more strikeouts in a season. Think about that. They had Nolan Ryan and other guys pitch on that. Mike Scott, J.R. Richard. Roger Clemens was really good that one year he was there. Cole's 11 0 with 152 Ks over his last 16 starts. He's only the second pitcher in the live ball era to go undefeated with 150 plus strikeouts over any 16 start span. Do you know who the other one is? It's Roger Clemens in 1998. 
Cole also has the highest strikeout percentage in Major League Baseball history currently at 37.9%. Pedro had 37.5 in 99. And Randy Johnson was at 37.4 in 2001. Cole originally from Orange County. And uh, Josh Donaldson's actually having a really nice year for the Atlanta Braves. He has over 30 home runs. He's in like 260. He's, it's a little uh, resurgence for Donaldson at what, 833. Buying or selling Josh Donaldson and Garrett Cole will join Mike Trout in Anaheim next season. I'm selling on Donaldson. You think he stays in Atlanta? I think he stays on the East Coast. Cole. See, the thing about Cole is we don't think about something that plays a, a big role with some guys, and that's state taxes. I know he's a West Coast guy, so I, I can understand him wanting to come back, and we know he's married to uh, Brandon Crawford's sister. She's from Pleasanton, so they both went to UCLA, coming back to Southern California. But what if the Yankees offer you a big deal or the Red Sox offer you a big deal? So I, I'm not, I don't think it's a guarantee that Cole is coming to Southern California. Cole's been linked to the uh, the Angels, the Yankees, and the Dodgers. And Bob Nightingale was on with Alex yesterday. He threw out the Phillies as a team to look at, to go after him. I, I don't think the Phillies can do that after that disastrous contract they threw at J uh, Jake Arrieta. I'm not saying Garrett Cole is Jake Arrieta, but – they threw all that money at Jake well, Arrieta. How much, but, that, but that wasn't a long deal, though. That was only like three, four years. Yeah, but I'm just saying, like. He's been there now a couple of years. Is Klintek going to be their GM? Is he going to be a little uh, skeptical and giving big money to a pitcher? I mean, we'll, I mean we'll, we'll see. But And as much as you read those numbers for Cole, I, I, Cole's like a six-inning pitcher for me. He hasn't pitched in the eighth inning all season. I went back and double-checked that. You say he has, hasn't pitched in the eighth all season? Has not yeah. pitched in the eighth inning all season. I'm, I'm, I mean, I'd take him, but I don't know how much I would pay for him. I mean, long term. Alex asked me where I think he's going to go yesterday, and I said, "You know what? He's going back to the Pirates. They're going to throw the, they're going to throw everything at him." Yeah, you have bare chance of seeing Jesus and seeing him going back to Pittsburgh. Yeah, well, they're not going to sign any free agents. Okay, so Matt Harvey, breaking news over the other, over the the Dark Knight. The Dark Knight will not opt out of his contract with the A's. He will stay in AAA. And uh, after two solid outings for, Ve for AAA Vegas, Harvey's third start in the A's organization wasn't as sharp. He gave up. A lot of runs. His overall ERA with the A's is 360, and he has a 4.5K to walk ratio and 10.9K per nine over his 15 innings for Vegas. So Harvey said that he's open to pitching as a reliever for the Oakland A's. What do you think of this? Buying or selling, Matt Harvey will be a closer for a major league team next season. Selling. Will he be in the big leagues next year? Buying okay. or selling? Buying. If he, pitches, if he can get back to velocity... What team will not would take a chance on him in the, out of the bullpen to get three outs? You think for sure he's going to be in the big leagues? I'm, 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 I can't sell on our guy. If, if you told me of any, any Mets guy, since we're Mets fans, every Mets going to make it back to the majors. But I think Harvey, I think Harvey got, he's got one shot. Left. I think people are going to be so infatuated with the potential that he has, that he had. And if he can get that velocity back, because he's coming off that thoracic. What's he, what's he throwing down in Vegas? How hard is he throwing in Vegas? I think he's throwing in the mid-90s. So, I mean, that's. He can't get people out. Yeah. yeah he's really struggled with that. His, his ERA that's kind of your job. His ERA with the Angels is only a cool seven-something. So mean, I mean, if the Angels who have no pitching get rid of you, what is that telling you? Yeah. They got rid of him. And, I mean, Trevor Cahill struggled for them, too. It's been a bad year for Angels pitchers overall. But, yeah. Cole, I think I think Harvey could be 
a reliever. I'm not saying he could be a closer, but I think he could be a decent reliever, maybe getting three outs, because we're not going to see right, the specialist roles are going to be gone starting next year with every guy on the face, at least three batters. And I'm not going to say, you know, Harvey can come in there and just walk three guys and get taken out. But I think he, I think he's in the majors next year. All right. The Tigers will need to draw some fans somehow. I'm not buying. All right. I'm not buying. I'm not buying the Dark Knight. A uh, friend of the program, Will, Will Leach, has had an article on MLB.com yesterday talking about the best uniforms in baseball. They pulled 85 players on their favorite uniforms with the caveat that they could not select their current teams. Uh, the Yankees and Dodgers tied for first with 10 votes each. The Braves and Mariners and Cardinals came in second, third, and fourth. The Car sorry, the Cardinals and Diamondbacks tied for fifth. The Diamondbacks? Yeah, the Diamondbacks. Their uniforms are horrible. The Giants, Pirates, Rockies, and A's tied for seventh. Buying or selling, the Yankees and Dodgers have the best uniforms in baseball. Well, I mean, it's tough to go up against the pinstripes. I mean, they're just classic. And the Dodgers have a class. I mean, they're Dodgers have a class. I mean, they're classic uniforms. I'm so are the A's. Yeah, I mean, the Pirates got a, a bunch of cool uniforms too. The '79 uniforms they wear. Oh, on those are. Oh, those are. That was one of the great games of all time. I remember what year it was. How was it? Oh, nine or 2010, maybe even 11, when the Pirates played the A's. And the A's were all gold, and the Pirates were all black, and they had the gold piping yeah. on the hat. I believe that was when uh, Sonny Gray made his debut that weekend. I think that was when they no, were no, in No, 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 no. Sonny Gray made his debut in Pittsburgh. Yeah, it was in Pittsburgh. This okay. game oh, was this in Oakland. Oh, here it was in Oakland. Okay. Oh, uh, and Monty, Monty Moore was there. He brought his dinger bell. Oh, okay. Wow. I can't remember what year it was, but it was, it was a great game. It was one of the best. So... The Orioles, remember last month when Chris Davis and manager Brandon Hyde went at it in the dugout? Yes. Well, it happened again the other day, but it wasn't with Brandon Hyde. Uh, reliever Richard Blyer was pulled after giving up three runs on four hits in the fifth inning against uh, Matt Pearl's Washington Nationals. So then third base coach Jose Flores and Blyer got into a shotting match, and they went into the tunnel in the dugout. The players were sent down to make sure nothing happened between the two. The Orioles also have the worst bullpen in baseball with a 6.15 ERA followed closely by the Nationals. Buying or selling the Orioles need to replace manager Brandon Hyde. They need to blow that. Well, that whole thing's a blow up. It's only his first year. And that's whole, I mean, so you now have a manager and now a coach fighting with players. No, no, that's, not a good, that's not a good look. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that is a good look. There, there's such a day. You know what? But they're still not the worst team in baseball. No, that belongs to the Detroit Tigers. Oh. Guardy, Ron Gardner. I feel so bad for him. He's a good manager, and he's apparently is he, he having fun. Apparently, he wants to come back next year. I believe Alex said yesterday that he, he read that Gardner wants to come back next year. I'm like, why? Why would you ruin your win loss record as a manager if you want? Because you want the paycheck. I get that, but like, don't you want to win? The Tigers aren't going to win for years. Well, where else is he going to get a job? I don't know. He was with the Diamondbacks as a third base coach. Go back to being a, a, an infield coach or something. Money's too good. So the Twins matched three home run, three more long balls yesterday in Chicago, pushing their total of 261. They are now only six away from tying the record. And we're not even in September yeah, yet. We're not in September yet. So Minnesota broke the road records in a season, reaching 141. That's three more than the 2001 San Francisco Giants, which I still can't believe, but Bonds is on that team. With 29 games left on its docket, Minnesota needs just seven more dingers to break the Yankees' record. Given their current pace of 1.96 homers per game, the Twins will need just three-plus games to set the new record. The Twins already have seven players who have hit at least 20 home runs. Wow. And one more, Jorge Polanco, has 19. And Marwin Gonzalez, who's currently injured, has 15. 
buying or selling the Minnesota Twins are the best home running, home run hitting team ever? I'm selling. That's the Las Vegas Aviators. <laughs> La- the Las Vegas Aviators, the greatest offensive team in the history of the game. Seth Brown had, what, 34 home runs in AAA before he got called up to the A's? Uh, I-, I was looking at their numbers earlier when we were uh, – de- I mean, like, look at Dustin Fowler. Dustin Fowler can't sniff the field in the big leagues. He's got 25 bombs. Seth Brown has 37. 37, that's it. <laughs> Sheldon Noisy's got 27. Mark Payton's got 30. I mean, their numbers are just ridiculous. I mean, the nu- they're ridiculous. Sheldon Noisy had 102 RBI has 102 RBIs. Seth Brown before he got here, 104 RBIs. We're not even in September. By the way, think about that trade the Nationals and the, the the trade that David and Billy pulled off with the Nationals a few years ago. You give up Doolittle and Matz, and you get Sheldon Noisy, uh, Jesus Lazardo, and Blake Trinan. I think the three of those guys, those three guys, might be might have better careers with those with the A's and Brian Matson and Sean Doolittle have with the Nats. Corbin Joseph had seventy three RBIs, seventy three down with the uh, a- Aviators. The, the the Pacific Coast League is uh, pretty scary. Every dude's hitting three hundred or more. It's unbelievable. Franklin, oh. where's Franklin Barreto at? Franklin Barreto, he's uh, Joe DiMaggio, as he, you call him. He's got nineteen home runs and sixty four RBIs with a nine. 22 OPS. It's pretty good. <laughs> it's pretty good, and he can't. He was hitting, he was hitting like and he one, comes up here and he can't hit. He hit like 112 with the ace. <laughs> so last one here. Felix Hernandez has returned from the IL, and he pitched well in his last two starts from the Mariners. He pitched well again yesterday against the Rangers. Selling. He was, he was injured. He I'm was selling. He was injured for three plus months. But yesterday he struck up Danny Santana in the third inning, which brought his career total to 2,508. He passed Christy Mathewson for 37th on the all-time Major League strikeout list. Buying or selling for Felix Hernandez will reach 3,000 strikeouts. He needs 492 more. Selling. Whatever your question was going to be was selling. You know, Pedro Martinez brought this up yesterday. It was after after the, the Rays and Astros game. So he's like, you know, what's he going to do? He's 33 years old. I mean, what are you, you just going to re- retire? I mean, because no one's going to sign him. So he's like, does he go to the bullpen, try and get his velocity up, and try and pitch for somebody else? Because Pedro's like, you're a young man. You're 33 years old. What are you going to do? Well, the As Pedro said, you know, you just sit around barbecue every day? What, what are you going to do? You're I mean, 33. You got, you got a whole, you've got a whole rest of your life ahead of you. I mean, the Mariners ran him into the ground. I mean, 19 years old. Remember how good he was when he got caught? What was that, 06? The guy was a phenom. And yeah. then the Mariners pretty much just ran him into the ground, pitching him so much. You know, he's never made the playoffs. He's never once made the playoffs. Why would you say they ran him into the ground? Because he actually pitched innings? Well, he threw. I mean, they were using him so much. He pitched every five days. He was never, yeah, and he was never hurt. Now he's hurt all the time. Well, you know, some guys lose. Verlander's been doing it for how long? When I, when I say guys are running to the ground, uh, the best example I can use is Freddie Gonzalez when he was the manager of the Braves ran um, Johnny Venner's, Eric O'Flaherty into the ground. He used them so much getting to Craig Kimbrell. And those guys have not even, I mean, how many times, what? Three, three and a half times that Johnny Venner's had Tommy John surgery, Eric, o, Eric O'Flaherty came back with the A's and he was out of baseball after that. Like, 
I just thought that I think it's a little different with the relievers because they're getting used so much. But Felix, I eight years you pitched two hundred innings. The most innings you ever pitched was two hundred and forty nine and two thirds. Do we need to go back to the old school guys throwing three hundred innings yeah. what was year that? after year what after was year that? after year? What was that Fergie Jenkins we were talking about? He feel like three twenty five. You want to Perry and Nolan Ryan <laughs> and what those guys did? Ran them into the ground. Are you kidding me? That's where, it. Where, where, that's it. That's it. I, I can keep going. You are. You have ace total access to go. On. Oh, that's right. When is ace total access? Uh, three fifteen. Three fifteen. We'll so replay Jason Giambi. Sal Bando is going to be with Ray Fossey. Remember, we're having an A's viewing party here at the Chicken Pie Shop of Walnut Creek Restaurant and Bar. We're going to be having cocktails. We're going to be having dinner, and we're going to be watching the A's up against the Yankees. Come out and see us. That'll do it for A's Cast Live. We hope to see you here in Walnut Creek. We'll be back in a few minutes, but up next, Alex Jensen, Alex Jensen, the face of A's All Night. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.